I am one body, one person that grew up with like several perspectives of working definitions of baptism. And I don't say that as like a matter of fact to say, hey, I'm holier than, like, it's actually the opposite. Like I, I was so confused growing up about what baptism is. And like I grew up in the church, my dad was a pastor, and I think part of that, like everyone just kind of assumed, oh, you should know everything, you know. But I just I was so confused. Maybe you're in the same place too, and um, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you're been you're you're there right now. Like you you grew up in like the youth groups, right? You went to all the VBSs, but still un unsure what people are asking you to do about it. Like you get some of the practicals of it. But what does it really mean? I and mean, there's some competing imageries and like ideas. And for me, like some of the competing ideas were first of all like I grew up I went to Presbyterian churches and so there's a very specific idea about what baptism is in Presbyterian context right like it's very um, uh, like just observ observation wise it's kind of very uh, formal very regal and then another competing image I had with that is like I don't know why but whenever I think immediately when I think of baptism there's like this Instagram filter that comes over and it's like you know it's like a filter of like um, California beaches or like you know 70s uh, you know vintage film and it's like of hippies dressed in white robes running into the ocean um, and they're and they come out just drenched in water and they're all happy and there's someone like as they come out of the water there's someone with another robe and a guitar with the biggest beard you've ever seen singing songs and this is probably like the image of like the Jesus movement and I get and it's kind of like embedded in me that's like there you know um, and the third, third one that I was kind of competing within myself is this idea of baptized in the Spirit. And um, this came to me a little bit later on in my life where I was, uh, I was around a little more charismatic friends. And uh, there's, there, at one point, there was a, a number of people, influential people that I love and respect, that questioned my salvation because I was not baptized in the Spirit. I didn't pray in tongues. Uh, yet at the time and so like it was like this like and so these are like competing values and images that I had of baptism I'm like so I'm not sure what they're asking me to do or I'm not sure what this is but I know that they want me to get baptized right like they, I mean, that's so clear like you need to get baptized but then there's all these different ideas and different images and different ways of approaching I'm like what is this so my hope is that as we unpack this theme of baptism um, there's a carnival happening up the street from our house at, from St. Mary's, and I hope that we kind of do like a little like um, cotton candy kind of thing where like we get a bunch of like floating perspectives of, of, of baptism, and we just get this one stick, and we just kind of put it together, and by the end of it, it's like nicely in one stick. So hopefully you could get one to kind of like, this is what we feel like is in the realm of, of baptism. So that's, that's kind of our goal today. So in order to do that, we're going to first establish a biblical pattern of baptism. A biblical pattern of baptism. And this, um, this is, um, I, I think if you kind of read scripture, you kind of observe this, but this specific kind of list, I, I, a lot of it was inspired by um, the folks at the Bible Project. And they kind of composed these like, set of observations together. And, um, and so these, these are really helpful in kind of understanding the kind of the theological background of what baptism is, right? And so the first thing is, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of cover a like, whole gamut of like, biblical texts. So like, um, you know, Marcos, I'm setting you up, man, for, for the topic of the Bible um, later. So it first starts off in Genesis, in creation. And what we see in Gen uh, Genesis 1 is that there's something about the water. There's something about water. Like when we start in Genesis, verse 1, God creates heavens and the earth. In verse 2, God hovers 
over water. And then a few verses after that, in 6 and 7, God separates water, and then he groups them, and then out of one group, land emerges so that the possibility of life could happen. So there's a separating of water, there's a grouping, and one of the groups of water allows new life to emerge. emerge. The second is Noah. Fast forward Genesis, and I think there's like chapter 6 and 8, right? Like we get Noah and the flood narrative. And the biblical, uh, some, there are some biblical scholars that consider this to be like the story of decreation. And what we see is that there's, there's very specific language about God splitting the sky to reset earth, undoing its inhabitants. But God remembers Noah and his family and rescues this remnant of people through water. And again, land emerges out of water, giving opportunity for new life and new families. Fast forward again, we see this pattern in Moses. Interesting, Moses starts, he, Moses' life starts by being saved from death as an infant by floating down a river on a papyrus basket. And the word for basket is the same word, ark, used in Genesis. And later on, God remembers Moses and his family, the Israelites, and rescues them through the passing of the Red Sea, which, by the way, was split, right? The Red Sea splits so that there's a symbolic change in this group of people. They go from slaves to free people. And then fast forward again, 40 years after Exodus with Joshua, God orders the Israelites to pass through the Jordan River carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and this change meant that they were no longer a group of nomads, but now they are our nation. They're a group of people with a land that had been promised them from God. You, you, guys, you guys track in here? These all these imageries like, that are laying, like being laid on top of one another? Thanks, Gary. Isaiah, generations later, the Israelites lose their land, and the prophet Isaiah picks up on these patterns, and he links these imageries and describes them uh, this, to describe a future rescue for the remnant, the, those in exile, by a messianic king. He talks about the remnant being like, being, being in exile is like being um, in chaotic waters. It, as, uh, Isaiah describes about like how... They're gonna, it's going to feel like they're floating from nation to nation, from Assyria to Egypt to Petros, Cush, Elam, Babylon. And so this imagery gets spilled all over Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 11 specifically. Fast forward, we get John. I love this dude, John the Baptist. Um, this dude, he's kind of theatrical, um, but his theatrics are very intentional. Um, like it's kind of it, it like it's it's some, sometimes difficult for to like in, like get this idea, but he he he's a very odd person. Like he he dresses in like animal clothing, right? He goes off to the wilderness, eats grasshoppers and honey, and he has like this super tense message, and he's baptizing people of all places in the Jordan River. Right? And the call that he's asking people to is, is repentance. 
And, but, but repentance, John's call isn't repentance like, hey, like, hey, let me put like shame and guilt on you. But the call of repentance is for renewal, restoration, deliverance, new life. Because guess what? The Messiah is coming. And enter Jesus. And much can be said about Jesus' baptism. And here are some. And these are just like, I'm like scratching the surface. So first of all, it takes place in the Jordan River. So there's a callback to Joshua when they go through the Ark of the Covenant. The heavens split open, which is a callback to Genesis and Noah. The spirit, the spirit, like a dove, lands and hovers over Jesus and the waters, again like Genesis. And even at his climax, when God's voice comes out and says, this is my beloved son, it's a callback to Moses' reference to the Israelites. So there are several more baptisms of accounts that happen later in the New Testament. One more specific narrative that we'll get to later on, at, if time permits, toward the end. Um, but these patterns, these imageries, are not by accident. This is, I believe, this is the work of the Holy Spirit through these biblical authors throughout centuries and generations. And, and so, the fact that, and, and these are just some of like the, the themes that are just weave around like the topic of baptism. And so now having said that, the church, post-Jesus, are now left uh, with the responsibility in, in some ways to continue to digest, process, and apply these themes in the lives of anyone who, claimed Jesus, who claims to be a follower of Jesus. So with that, Lord have mercy uh, on this next part, because I'm going to try to unpack um, some threads, some, some streams um, within the church. So baptism and the church. Baptism and the church. The first thing to remember about baptism and the church um, is that baptism precedes the church. Baptism precedes the church. Before the formalizing of the institution of the church, baptism was a thing. And as you've seen already, it is established. It is an established biblical pattern all throughout the scriptures, molded, modeled by Jesus, commanded by Jesus. And as the early church began to take shape, baptism was one of its centerpieces. It was a non-negotiable for the church. It was a non-negotiable for any follower of Jesus. So it makes sense that there's like this long history of discourse and disagreements over its meaning, mode, and just every other nuance possible because it's so foundational to the church and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, you know, we are now a little bit, like, a little over a thousand years removed from Jesus, so the theology of baptism now seems to fit within these, in these three, um, bottom three, sacramental, covenantal, believers' view, um, these three main perspectives. And I would say that even this terminology is under... Dispute, especially the last one. I, I feel like the first two, the sacramental, covenantal, it's pretty much that. But there's, like, I don't think people fully know. So that's why I said quotations. Like, I kind of made that up, believer's view. Um, and so these are the three. Three maybe traditional perspectives on baptism. And, and for this, I referred a lot to the Global Dictionary of Theology um, and also another resource called the Theology for the People of God. Um, specifically for um, the Reformed tra um, uh, tradition, I, 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 I pulled a lot from the Gospel Coalition. And, and the first is the sacramental view. Sacramental view. And this view is mostly reflected by the Roman Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic Church, to an extent Lutheranism and Episcopalian churches. So in a nutshell, 
It's the idea that baptism is itself is an act that regenerates a person's uh, life from spiritual death to spiritual life. Um, in, in, in this tradition, baptism is necessary for salvation. Because baptism, the, the act of baptism, the rite, the ritual of baptism, re- removes original sin and transforms the spiritual substance while maintaining our physical form. And this, is, this, same kind of idea, this same kind of thinking is also transferred to the idea of communion. They believe it, it's called transubstantiation, where the essence of the bread and wine is still the same, but the substance, the substance is different. The, the symbolic meaning, or well, not symbolic meaning, the, yeah, the very essence is that they are partaking of the body and blood of Jesus. That's why it's not, in the Catholic Church, in the Catholic tradition, it's not called communion, it's called Eucharist, right? So, and because in the Catholic Church and in, in these traditions, because the baptism is a sacred act, it must be administered by the authority of the church and its officers. And, it's, and um, also, let me throw in uh, Eastern Orthodox. And, and I think Eastern Orthodox is worth highlighting, um, specific because uh, they share a lot of these values, but I think one thing that stands out um, that's a little bit different from this view and even our view or kind of more evangelical Protestant view is that they view baptism not as a finish line, but as a starting line. So they get to the point of baptism like, okay, now you're discipleship. Now you fall, like now you living and embodying the life of Jesus really starts at this point. And I feel like that's one thing that's kind of um, a little anemic <laughs> in the evangelical church is this idea. We just, I feel like so much of evangelicalism has been about, let me just get you to the finish line. But the Eastern Orthodox view is, hey, this is a starting point. Now the real work begins. And then there's a covenantal view. And this view is mostly reflected in the Reformed tradition. Um, Presbyterians um, adopt this. A lot of Presbyterians adopt this. Not necessarily, but mostly. Um, Where baptism, it replaces circumcision as an act Uh, as a sign of being a follower of God. Baptism in this tradition says that God is fulfilling his covenant with you. So baptism doesn't necessarily mean salvation in this sense. It means that the ritual of baptism is entering into your existing system of sin, guilt, and shame. And the ritual of baptism says, now I am now under the system of God's grace. I am dependent on God's grace. I am utterly, like, I am bound, like, there's, like, total depravity is, like, a part of this, right? I I am bound to just mess up in any way, but even still, God's grace is greater. There's nothing that I can do that can be, uh, that could, that where God's grace wouldn't cover my sin. So it's it's a seal. It's like a, a sign and seal of God's promise. The act is a way of like, making the promises of God visible to yourself and to the church and to the wider community. So often, baptism in this view is also a confirmation to your uh, membership or belonging to the bigger community of God. So that's a covenantal view. And the last is the believer's view, and at least in, in, for our, our time today. The last is the believer's view. And this is mostly reflected in, in kind of the overarching umbrella called the free church tradition. And um, 
this encompasses a wide range of churches. So this encompasses Methodists, Baptists, Anabaptists, Pentecostals, Calvary, Vineyard, Mennonites, Quakers, Nazarites, Evangelicals. So like, and so this is a big white umbrella. Um, I, don't think I don't think people even in these traditions know that they are called free church because it's such a wide umbrella. Um, but I think in, like, in theological spaces or theology spaces, it's, um, it's called free church or believer's church, and there's tons of resources about that. But there are many similarities to, um, to the believer's view, to the covenantal view. And the primary, but the primary emphasis in the believer's view is that here, baptism is an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality that the believer has already experienced in their faith in Christ. It's, it, it maybe in some ways it could be compared to a, a wedding, right? You already love this person, and you're committed to this person. But you do the wedding because you're here to convince everybody else, and I'm going to fork up a ton of money to say, I'm serious about this person, right? That's what baptism is in this, in this context. Baptism, that, that's why like, there's such an importance about baptism being a public testimony, right? Baptism is a witness to salvation, not a means to salvation in this view. Um, so I, I appreciate different aspects about all three views. Um, and, but there are kind of even more nuances to, um, to these. And these. So these are just the theological perspectives. On. These are all, these, all of these are theological. But there are kind of modes or types of baptism that is also kind of worth unpacking. And, um, and there are different ways of the, how these baptisms are practiced within all these different traditions that we, we have talked about. And there's different emphasis and different traditions. Um, but they're kind of like, these are maybe like probably, and you could, some would argue that uh, sprinkle pouring immersion should all be separate, but um, we're just going to kind of, at least for our time's sake, we're going to just kind of lump it into one water baptism. And um, the first is infant baptism. And um, this was probably one of the most confusing things for me personally. I was baptized um, as an infant in a Presbyterian church. Um, and then later somebody told me that that's not valid. <laughs> um, because they came from the believer's baptism tradition. Um, and then so when I heard that and when I got confirmed in my tradition, I'm like, I feel like I got gypped. Um, <laughs> and it took some time for me to backtrack and be like, wait a minute, no, there's, some, there's something valid about this tradition. I, I came to appreciate it much because I think one of the things about infant baptism, especially that gets lost, I think, in, again, in the evangelical perspective is that when you are baptized as an infant, you literally belong to a family of God, right? And so now the family and you are both responsible for your faith. Um, and so pretty much, if you don't know what infant baptism is, it's the idea that you baptize your child as an infant before um, they're fully aware because you're committing this child to live to the, in the ways of the Lord. And, and, and then in the, in the covenantal view, it's added that now you trust God's grace that God will do whatever it takes to show this child that he is his loving, everlasting, loving father, no matter what this infant does in its, through the rest of his life. And um, there's a part of me that, and, and um, being, uh, this, this is where some of my uh, Korean his, history comes in, um, where I, I really feel, feel this deeply, and this came much later in my life, where 
I realize I, I am like about maybe three or fourth generation Christian. That is super rare for Koreans uh, because um, Pyongyang used to be a center of Christianity before the Japanese took over the occupation. Um, and then a lot of the Christians went down to South Korea. Um, a lot of them died. Um, but somehow through my, um, my great, great, great grandpa, um, he somehow made it down and was one of the first kind of generation of like, of that revival that happened in Pyongyang. And so there's, there's this sense of like, God has been faithful even when I'm not fully aware of it, right? It's like that God's grace is infinitely greater than I could possibly imagine, not just in my life, but throughout the, uh, throughout the life of my family. And so like, there's kind of like that um, where I kind of learned to adopt. Um, interestingly, like this, this, this wasn't developed right away in the Christian, throughout Christian history. This actually came about 200 AD. And around that time, what had happened was the, de uh, the development of like the doctrine of original sin started becoming more developed. And once original sin got developed, we're like, oh, what do we do with all these kids? Right? And so that's where infant baptism came as a response to that. And so, um, and so again, there are some strengths and weaknesses to this, but infant baptism is also called pedobaptism. The next, Believer's Baptism, also known as Credo Baptism. And I think most of us, I would imagine most of us are, are familiar with this. And, um, and again, like this is practiced in so many churches, free church, you know, all the, all the um, different kind of traditions that we talked about. But it, the main crux of Believer's Baptism is that as an adult, as, when you have conscious ability to know what you're getting yourself into, you make that personal choice. It's a free choice that you make, right? And, and there's, there's validity. To, I, I love this idea. Because like, again, like, because of my Presbyterian upbringing, I feel like I had no say. But later on, I learned to backtrack and kind of re, uh, uh, see the value of this. Um, but again, like the, so there's definitely strengths of like, this is, we, we, allow, we give room to allow the Christian faith to be our own, to make it and not just dependent on somebody else, but it's me and Jesus. And, that, and that there's tremendous value to that. But part of the weakness is that because it could seem very me and Jesus, it does feel like, it could be like the weaknesses, it could feel like an individualized faith, right? And kind of lack that kind of strong ecclesiology of like belonging to the whole body of Christ. And so both infant baptism and believer's baptism, the modes of baptism is water baptism, sprinkle, pouring, immersion. Um, quick note about immersion. There's, there's a strong, I feel like there's a lot of argument for immersion because the word baptism, it comes from the word immerse. And so like, um, I, and so there's, there's a lot of argument for that. Um, and, I, and all of them are valid. All of them are valid. Uh, but I heard this one interesting story in, in seminary that I, I feel like it's worth sharing is that, uh, gosh, I, I should have wrote this down, but there's a saint um, in, in the early church history um, where um, there, he was attending to a man who, 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 were, um, who, were die, who were dying from his wounds. And at the last moment, he wanted to accept Christ. And, but they had, because they were in the desert, they had no means for water. So what, instead what they decided to do is pour sand, sand over this person and proclaim that this person is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I love that story. <laughs> I love the story because, like, yes, we see a biblical precedence in water and its, in its significance, but if God, it, is God's grace not 
beyond just the mode of like the physical, you know, physical, you know, um, cells, right? Like there's there's something about God, God, God transcending His own creation to uh, to bless this person with grace and salvation and mercy and life. Um, water baptism. The last is uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and some Pentecostals, Charismatics believe that. Um, that there's a second baptism in addition to the believer's baptism or um, um, the other baptisms that we talked about. Um, and also, uh, there are sects in um, uh, there are Catholics, Lutherans, Escapillians that are charismatic and believe this, which is pretty dope. And I'm like, I'm all for that. Um, and um, one of the verse, couple of verses that justify uh, this type of spirit of baptism is Acts 5, when Jesus says that John baptized you with water, but I now baptize you in the Holy Spirit, right? Um, that's one of them. And we see that happening in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, right, in, in Pentecost. Another verse is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Greeks, Jews, slave, or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Um, and, and I'm down for this. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know I, I, I love my Pentecostal friends. Um, their, um, their faith has been tremendously, tre tremendously important to my walk with Jesus. Um, but I, I would say this, that um, some of the misteachings that I have heard, I, I, would like, I would like to negate that, which is because you, if you feel like you are baptized by the Spirit, if you don't pray in tongues, you're still good. I just want to give you that assurance, you know? If anyone told you that, like, oh, man, you're, like, you're less Jesus-y, I'm going to just contend that in the name of Jesus, okay? Like, I feel like you're jit. You know, like, as, I, as long as there's something about, like, like all, like, the, the, the themes that we talked about earlier that are established throughout Scripture, if, if you believe that, um, you trust in Jesus, and he, he's truly, you want to live in the ways according to Jesus, I think you're good. I think you're good. You know, like, it, like I, I've been, I'm almost coming up on two years of being lead pastor of one life. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, within the first Six days. So I started in January 6th, or January 1st. January 6th, within the first week, right, the insurrection happens. And I'm like, what the heck, you know? And there's people like waving Jesus flags, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, come on, y'all, like, come on. Um, <laughs> um, there's a point to this. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and also at the time, like the whole AAPI, like attacks are happening, right? And so I'm like, trying to like, face like, my own like, identity as an Asian American follower of Jesus. Um, and seeing that your church is like silence, right? The bigger church is silence in this whole stuff. I'm like, dude, what I, how do I make sense of this? And like, I see like, my Christian friends like, debating about this stuff, right? Like, they're like, heated. Like, friends who are like, brothers and sisters who are friends for decades losing their friendship over this stuff, right? Um, deconstruction is happening, right? And decades of friendship 
being broken over all this stuff. And I think part of like our, like our desire and like kind of approaching our theological discourse in this way is like, I wonder if, if we could approach the life of following Jesus in a radical way where people who have no business being in a room together are in a room together because of Jesus, right? Like, I, I hope that we get to, as a church body, that we, we focus on like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And then like all this stuff, like, yeah, have those views. We don't want to, we, don't, we do not want to not have a view, but have a view, but at the end of the day, know that all, at the end, I mean, this sounds like so Sunday schooly, but it is the right answer. It really is about Jesus. It really is. All other ground is sinking sand. Right? So like, that's a lot of information to process. A lot of things to like, you know, a lot of things to kind of digest. And you might have some questions. And as, you know, Jay, Pastor Jay mentioned last week, if you have any, write them down. We'll like continue to process this together because we are on this journey together. Um, if you have a sheet of paper, a scrapbook of paper, like a scrap, you know, sheet of paper, write it, put it in the offering box. Um, you know, use our socials, Instagram, Facebook, you know, just submit it somewhere. We'll find it, okay? Um, and let's, let's continue to unpack this stuff. But um, let me give you kind of a, maybe um, a reference point of like where we are in terms of baptism for one life. This is a, this is a reference point. And I, I say that as a reference really lightly because when I say reference, I'm really saying this reference is my preference. All right. Um, and when Raina and I first got married, uh, um, we, we took a trip to Napa. We are not alcohol people. Like, we are not good with alcohol. I'm not good with alcohol. I smell it and I get drunk. Um, <laughs> we, we went to Napa and we're doing like wine tasting stuff. We don't know anything about wine, you know. Um, and then the sommelier, sommelier, um, he, he lets us know, like, hey, like, he lets us know, like, he's trying to get a feel of where we are, and then we're like, hey, we don't know anything about this, but, you know, we're here, we want to have a good time, and one of the things that he encouraged us to do is try all of these, <laughs> try all of them, and then, <laughs> yeah, and see what you like, exactly, see what you like, and as you kind of let that linger in your mouth, Think about, what do you like about this? And so I, I, I took several sips, I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's, you know, and the, there's this one, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, and then, oh yeah, and he describes some, oh, this has, like, oak, this is aged oak, and it has a little bit nutty flavor, it's a little more rounded, <laughs> a little more robust, the flavor's deep and not fruity, and things like that, and I'm like, all right, cool, and so, and, and it's because of that, like, I had a reference point. And because I had a reference point, I could be like, oh, I see that, and that's good. It's different from what I would usually like, but it's still good, right? And I feel like we could do that with baptism. If we have a reference point, we could be like, I feel like this is, this is, this is where we are as, just as a reference, and it is a preference. But we could, say, we could see other perspectives and say, that's good too. That's good too, because I know where my reference point is. So generally, our reference point is that we here, practice a believer's baptism. We want you to have a personal invitation from Jesus to know that where you've been, you don't have to stay there. That there's hope for a new life. There's hope for change. 
And I believe that the gospel is potent enough, is robust and deep enough to penetrate any sin. that embodies your soul because it does embody you. The gospel of Jesus supersedes that. There's no grace that is deeper, no grace that is wider, no grace that is stronger than that of Jesus Christ. And we want you to have that moment in your life to say yes to that. I want that. Actually, I need that. And we want, we want this for you. We want this to be a conscious decision for you. And we want that to be a conscious decision for our children and our youth. We want them to have a personal, real relationship with Jesus. But, the, but we want to bring in other perspectives too in this, in that when you get baptized, when you follow Jesus, it's not just you and Jesus. It's not a you and Jesus faith. It's a we and Jesus faith. We embody this and we carry this together. When we read the scriptures, it's a we scripture. All of the epistles were written to groups, well, most of the epistles were written for groups of people. And we live it out in that same way. We live out our relationship with Jesus in that same way. So we practice a believer's baptism. If we can, immersion with warm water. Okay. <laughs> um, and, um, but you know, who knows? We're in Southern California, we're in a drought. So, you know, we might have to re revisit this, you know? <laughs> Preference. It is also our preference that we do baby dedications as opposed to infant baptisms. But if you did that, that's all good. We receive you. You're still a body of Christ. You belong. And we can walk with you together. We can worship the Lord together. Um, and if you weren't infant baptized, there's no shame. There's no shame. You have the opportunity anytime for you. You're welcome. You're welcome to the table. You're welcome to the family of God. So our, our hope is that at the way we approach our baptism has both a high Christology in which we need Jesus and also a high ecclesiology in which, in which we need each other. And I hope that's a commitment that we enter into every time we practice baptism here at One Life. Um, there are other questions that we probably don't have time to get to, like, what do I want to do when, if I, like, if I want to get rebaptized? Let's talk about it, all right? Um, yeah, let's talk about it. And um, actually, Pastor, uh, Pastor Jay, we, and I, we have to have, like, I think we set November 30th, October 30th, October 30th. Um, if you're interested, let's, let's talk, uh, and let's, let's process this through together. Um, if you're interested in being, um, in being baptized, um, none of the youth are here, um, and I, and already Kate already knows that um, we we want this invitation for the youth as well. We want them to uh, feel like they're seen and visible in terms of like they're saying yes to Jesus as the body of Christ together. Um, uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Um, 
because we are in this journey together of what it means as followers of Jesus together um, to live out this faith. Um, one last biblical um, kind of pattern that I mentioned earlier um, that I want to end our time in is, is, is found in Revelations. Um, it's the last chapter, 22. And this comes from the First Nations version. And, and I'm intentionally reading this because um, in honor of Native American Heritage Month, um, the First Nations version is, is incredible. It's, it's written, it's translated by Native American theologians. And um, it's the first of its kind. And it's incredible. I, um, by the way, we are, we are worshiping Jesus on Kitchland. So let's recognize that too. Um, and I, I read it and I weep. I weep. It's so powerful. Um, and this text is, is no uh, exception. Um, we see um, the same biblical themes that we talked about earlier. And we see in Revelations this invitation and reminder um, of what's to come. As you walk through the waters of baptism um, on that day and every day after. And so I'll read this for us. The spirit messenger then showed me the river of life-giving water shining as bright as crystal. It flowed out from the seat of honor of the great spirit and the lamb. The river flowed down the center of the village's wide pathway. On each side of the river was a life-giving tree. Every moon, this tree was bearing fresh fruit, 12 different crops a year. Its leaves were good medicine for the healing of all nations. Let's pray. We live to you, Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We, we follow you into these waters of faith, into the waters of culture into the waters of murky um, situations, relationships, um, conversations, conflict. And we trust that your spirit is hovering over those waters and is present with us. And you do not leave us alone. You carry us on the ark of your grace, the ark of your mercy, the ark of your promise, that there's hope for renewal. There's hope for new life. We, we remember that baptism is not just a ritual of church tradition, but is a visual sermon of what it means, what the gospel is, and what it means for us. Not just me and you, Jesus, but me, you, and us and me, you, and this world. And so by your grace, we help us to embody this well as your church body here, this humble community here. We pray that we would enter into these waters, have these discussions, and have dialogue and discourse and conflict 
with fear and trembling. Um, <laughs> not because we're afraid to screw up, but because this is bigger than us. <laughs> and at the same time, it's so real and deep at the core of who we are as, as people that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. Um, and so we, we, we pray, um, we pray. We pray and we ask that you continue to uh, work in us and mold us and shape us as we enter into these conversations. Um, have mercy, have grace uh, on your people here. We, we pray for what we've heard. We pray that we are pra- um, process it and, and process it um, um, well, according to your will and your purposes. <laughs>